Thank you, Texas Baptist family, for your support for Texas missions throughout 2020. Since the formation of Women's Missionary Union of Texas in 1880, Texas Missions has been an opportunity for Baptists to unite, not only to meet the physical needs across our state, but also to share Jesus Christ with the lost. From supporting ministerial education through scholarships, the work of the River Ministry Missionaries, Multicultural Missions Outreach, and New Church Starts, Texas Missions now includes Bounce Student Disaster Recovery, Go Now Missions, Hunger and Community Care Initiatives, the Special Friends Retreat, Age Level Missions Discipleship, and the annual South Texas Women's Build. We are Texas Missions, and we can do more together. Mary Hill Davis, the namesake for our state missions offering, saw Texas as a rich harvest field, and she intended to look forward to emphasize the possibilities of the future. As we reflect on the generosity of God to us in the past, and as we trust him to lead us in meeting the needs across our state of Texas through missions and ministry, I pray you will join me in looking forward to the future, accepting the challenge to be a part of God's story in order to minister to our great state of Texas. For we can all say, I am Texas Missions. On behalf of the 91 ministry opportunities supported by your gifts to the Mary Hill Davis offering for Texas Missions, we thank you. I am Texas Missions. We are Texas Missions. I am Texas Mission. I am Texas Mission. Let's sing about our good, good father this morning. Stand up, stand up. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead. Tell me that your peace and 
Thank you. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome. It is because we have a good, good Father that we can gather together on a day like today. So I'm just, I'm so thankful that our God is so good that He allows us to to gather together and that we can sing praises to Him. And the fact that He knows everything that we need before we even know we need it is is truly amazing, but I'm greatly thankful for it. Um, if you're joining us on the live stream, it's glad, it's good to see you. You may have heard some audio earlier and you may have seen a video from the congregation. We are continuing to collect our offering for the Mary Hill Davis offering for state missions. All of those dollars stay in the state of Texas to support mission work literally around the state. Um, you may notice in a bulletin that you have this morning that we are just shy of $900, so a little less than halfway toward our $2,000 goal to reach that. So if you have not given yet, or if you still plan to, or if you've just decide to give a little bit more, we're still collecting that. You can just put that in the offering basket at the end of the service, and that will go to do mission work all around the state of Texas. I want to read just a, a few verses in the in Second Corinthians um, chapter 5, starting in verse 17, familiar passage, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you're called by the name of the Lord Jesus this morning, you are a minister of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Christ. And so as we sing songs together, as we listen to his word, my hope is that you leave here impassioned and empowered to go out and do the work that he's called us to do. And that's to be reconcilers, to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately that's why we gather together, is to worship our Lord, to encourage one another, and then to leave these doors and do the mission that he's called us to do. Let me just remind you of a few things. Of course, we still are collecting our offering for Mary Hill Davis. Um, there's also tomorrow morning at 6.30, gentlemen, if you'd like to, to join in, there's the men's breakfast at the Elk Diner at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday evenings. And you can find all of these in the bulletin. Wednesday evenings at 6.30, we continue to, to meet weekly via Zoom for prayer. And we pray not only for our church, our community, but we also pray for our nation and for the world. And then also you'll see probably in the middle section in a large part of the bulletin, on the 18th, two weeks from today, we'll have our quarterly business meeting at the end of our worship service. So again, at this time, we'll just gather together for a time of, of business. We'll not have a meal at this time, but that is on the 18th. And so you can see that as well as other dates in the bulletin. If you haven't picked up one, there's still some available at the back. I just want to take opportunity now to, to pray. Pray for 
the Lord to help us to hear his voice during the worship service, to pray that he would continue to do his work around the world, to pray for our country and to pray for um, the health of our our president. So if you would just pause for a moment and join me as we pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together on a day like this in a country where we still have the freedom to worship together. And Lord, we thank you that we have the gift of technology so that we can sit here together or folks can sit at home or be in their vehicle and join us online. And God, we ask this morning you would help us to get our our hearts and our minds in the right place. God, we come in with a lot of distractions, a lot of things that that are challenging to us, a lot of problems and difficulties. And Lord, I pray in this moment now that you would help us to lay those at your feet. That we would cast our cares on you our burdens upon you. We would lay them down at the cross and that we would be able to hear you. Father, I pray you would search our heart and know us. If there's something this morning that's in our life that's keeping us from hearing you, if there's a barrier that's up, if there's a sin that we need to confess, you would help us to confess that before you so that we can hear you this morning. God, pray that you would help us as your people this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the truth of your word the living truth, the Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that is present among us, that gives us life, that gives us encouragement, that gives us conviction of sin and strength from day to day. And Lord, we pray for churches that meet around our area this morning as men and women gather together and sing praises that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, that men would be and women would be saved, that people would be encouraged, and that your kingdom would flourish, not just here throughout our nation. And Lord, when we look around our nation and there's so much division, there's so much violence, there's questioning, there are problems, there's difficulties and challenges. Lord, we raise those up to you. And Lord, just help us to yield ourselves to you and see that you are the only solution to our problems. Lord, we do pray for our president. We pray for his wife and for his health. We thank you that your word directs us to pray for those in authority. And Lord, we pray that not only would you, you work um, for his health, but you would work to give him wisdom and direction and for those in leadership, that they would govern our country in a way that is good um, for all the people and it would bring glory to you. God, help us this morning to joyfully lift up songs to you out of grateful hearts because you're a good God and you're a good Father. We love you, O Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. All right, come and feast at the table of the Lord with us this morning. Please stand as we sing the table. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the
Christ shall come. With shout of acclamation and take me home. With joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God have praised the one. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. How great Some of you may not have been listening to the music, but if you were, um, I hope you heard the message from the Lord that He is good, that His ways are good, and that He is great, and that He is for you and not against you. We always need to be reminded of those things. God is good. God is great. God is for us. He's not against us, and He has good things for us. And we are so privileged to be able to, to gather together to, to worship. Um, every time um, before I, I walk up here, um, Samara tells me the same thing. Um, she says, have fun preaching. Um, and so um, hopefully um, we'll have fun together as we, we look at the truth of God's Word. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 this morning as we continue on looking through the book of Joshua, the idea of victory. And so I want you to put a couple of pictures in your mind. First of all, I want you to go back to your sandbox days or maybe a day at the beach. And I want you to think about building sand castles, bucket, shovel. So let your mind go there for a moment and think about how exciting it is to, to stack that sand up. And, and it's fun. It really is. it. And then I want you to think about how great it is to just smack it down. And start over. A couple of years ago, we were at a conference and Samara was playing with one of her friends, Maddie, and they were playing in this sand lagoon, this beautiful pool, and they were building sandcastles. And Maddie's brother, Bo, would sneak around and come up 
And just at the moment they would build this tall castle, he would smack it down. And he would laugh, and, and Maddie and Samara would say, Bo, Bo, and they'd go, get him, get him, and they'd chase after him, and then Bo would run off and play for a while, and Maddie and Samara would build again, and then before long, here came Bo again and knocked him down. So I want you to think about sandcastles and how beautiful they can be, but how easily they can fall down. But I also want you to think about the strongest, most incredibly well-built stone structure you can imagine. Think about something that you would see as impenetrable. Something you would say, nobody would ever knock that down. A fortress, a strong tower, something that you could look at and say, that's going to be here till the end of time. Because this morning we're going to look at a city called Jericho that the Bible says was a well-fortified city. A city that by human standards people would say would stand forever. But when God moved on that city through his people who followed him with faith and obedience. You know what happened? It fell just like a sand castle. We're going to see that story in Joshua chapter 6 this morning. We're going to to read the verses together. It's, It's a little bit lengthy, but it's a wonderful story. So hang in there. And as we look at these verses together, we're going to find out that That when we put our faith in God's power and combine that with obedience to his commands, then it leads to deliverance and victory. So Joshua chapter 6, listen, starting in verse number 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets or ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward. March around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Verse 12. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them. And the rear guard 
was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them... You take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother, and brother, and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed, be the, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city, Jerusalem. At the cost of his firstborn shall, be lay, shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Father, we... Thank you this morning that we can open up your word together. And we are so grateful that when we open up your word, that by your spirit we meet together with you. And so in this place this morning, help us as your people to hear your voice as you speak to us. Help us to see the truth of your word and apply it to our lives that we can see that you desire to give us deliverance and victory and for walls in our life to fall down. We trust you to do this. We look forward to it. We're excited and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So faith in God's power and promises combined with obedience to what he commands us and faith leads to deliverance and victory. And that's really what we want in our life, right? Is to make progress, to advance, to see God tear down strongholds to free us from deliverance and to give us victory. And what we have is a great story that you may have heard many times from Sunday school, how Joshua fought the battle of 
Jericho. The marching, the, the horns, the great shout, and then the walls come tumbling down. And many of you probably want to get up right now and walk around in a circle to shout and then to fall on the ground. And that's okay if you want to. But it gets us excited because we see not so much that Joshua was this great man, but there was a great God in heaven who worked for his people. And I want you to think about this just for a second. What does it look like when walls fall down in your life? Think about that. When a great obstacle in your life, when it is is torn down, when there's something in your walk of faith that is moved out of the way, something you just can't seem to get past, something you just can't get over, you can't get under. It sounds like a song, right? You can't go around it. God's having you walk through it, but eventually he tears it down. That thing that stands between you and God. There's this barrier in your relationship where you find it difficult to to talk to God in prayer, difficult to focus when you read the Bible, difficult to walk in what he's called you to do. And there's this obstacle, and when he moves it out of the way, there's deliverance. And we have to admit that whatever it is, it's too big for us because if it was something we could handle, we would have already dealt with it, right? But we are so grateful that our God is big enough. And when those walls start to come down, that there's, there's freedom, there's deliverance, there's victory because we choose to place it in God's hands. We trust Him with it in faith and we honor Him with our obedience. We trust the outcome to Him. No matter how long it takes, knowing that He's going to be the one to get the glory. And in our story today, we see Joshua and the people of Israel. They've made it through the wilderness. They've crossed over the Jordan. They've prepared themselves. They've set themselves apart for the Lord. Joshua's received his marching orders from Jesus, who shows up in the Old Testament as the commander of the army of the Lord. And they look up and they see this walled city of Jericho standing between them and the promised land. And so my hope is today that we look at this story, we see how we can apply it to our lives, and we see that faith combined with obedience leads to deliverance and victory. But what just happened to be standing in the way of Joshua and the people? Well, it was a strong fortress. You'll see a notes page on the back of your bulletin if you want to try to fill in the blanks. It'll help you kind of follow along maybe and and keep up with where I'm at. But there was a strong fortress. It's what they were up against. And verse 1 says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And what the writer is doing is setting the stage for God's miracle. There's this great city of Jericho that archaeologists who've studied it tell us that more than likely the outer wall was about 12 feet thick. The, The inner wall was about 12 feet thick. The outer wall was about 6 feet thick. There was about 12 feet of space in between it. So there were thick, high walls. It was a well fortified city. And because they'd heard about this Joshua and his people of Israel who followed this one true God, they had shut themselves in this well-fortified city. Nobody was going in and nobody was coming out. And by all the outward appearances, 
There was no way that Jericho would ever fall down. Oh, but God had, had different plans, didn't he? We, we know because we've read ahead in the story, but what appeared so strong on the inside was filled with fear on the inside. Remember back in chapter 2 when we looked at the story of Rahab, Rahab's report to those spies that fear has fallen upon us and the inhabitants of the land melt before you. See, the people had heard about God's great deeds, that Red Sea crossing, that Jordan River crossing, and they knew that their city would be no match for God's power. There's Jerichos all around us all the time. Now, I'm not talking about a physical city. However, there was a small city in West Texas. It's now a ghost town that was named Jericho that didn't last very long. But there are things that stand against us and taunt us in our life that are strongholds like Jericho. They look like a strong fortress on the outside. And we think, gosh, this is never going to go away. This is never going to change. I'm going to always be this way. And we look at those and we say, that's, oh, that's Jericho. It's never going to come down. But this story hopefully will teach us that while our enemy seems to be so strong and well fortified, oh, they're, they're fearful. They're fearful of God's powerful resources. And while they appear to be strong, they're already defeated. And they know it. And they can't stand up against God's power. And they're no match for the name of Jesus. See, Joshua and the people, they looked at this city of Jericho. It was fortified, but it was fearful. It was no match for God. And so they could proclaim in faith those spies when they came back in chapter 2 said, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Why? Because Joshua and the people knew they served a mighty God. Joshua may have, excuse me, Jericho may have been strong, but God had gave them a promise of victory. You'll find three, three, three P's in this section. First, God gave them a promise. All the way, you know, we see chapter 6, verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, see, look, what does he say? I have given into your hand Jericho. I've given Jericho into your hand. It's God's word. It's a, it's a promise that this assault on Jericho was God's idea. It was his plan. He gave the authorization. Many people look at the book of, of Joshua and, and see, you know, God, you know, it's people just going out and, and taking conquest and killing people and taking over land. And they, and they say, oh, that's just unjustified killing of, of many people. But if you look back at the record of Scripture, you find that when Joshua and the Israelites come into the land of Canaan, that they are executing God's judgment for the wickedness of all of those Canaanites. And if you study your Old Testament, you'll find out that God's been more than patient with them. And God would use them to judge the Canaanites. And then God, in the process, would give this land to his people. And they come upon this city of Jericho, which, by the way, wasn't a very large city, but it was 
a very strong city. And with victory at Jericho, it would signal to the people, it would build in them a confidence that they could find victory over anything that they would face. See, when God makes promises, it gives us assurance of things we can't even see, we may not be able to imagine, and we certainly can't explain. Think about that elderly couple in the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. But Lord, we don't even have a child, and we're old. Or the people of Israel caught between the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army, And God speaks through Moses, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Or Jesus, to that grieving sister, Martha, your brother will rise again. Or his promises to us, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. With man is it impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And then John 16:33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you may have tribulation trouble but take heart because Jesus says I have overcome the world. See when God makes a promise nothing can stop it. And he promised victory to the Israelites. But he also promises his presence You see, Joshua and the people had the assurance of God's presence. Chapter 1 starts, verse 5, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God speaking to Joshua. And then he continues and says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you always. And as a representation of his presence, he gave them the ark. It's key to the story. You'll see it. It's mentioned 11 times in chapter 6. And it was that representation of God's presence among His people. And the only hope of victory that Israel had was that God was with them. That's why it makes that confrontation or that meeting between Joshua and the host of the army, of the, the commander of the army of the Lord so important because Joshua says, are you for us or are you against us? And, you know, the answer is basically neither. And the question that's not asked but is implied is, are you on the Lord's side? And because Joshua was on the Lord's side, God would give him the victory. David knew something about this. In Psalm 124, verse 2 and 3, he says, If the Lord, if if it had not been that the Lord was on our side when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. You see, there was no doubt God would win the battle. The commander of the army of the Lord was with them. And the battle would be won in God's presence, but also with God's power. With God, because God was with them, there would be no enemy that would be able to stand up against them. That God would give them success wherever they went. Joshua could take heart in the command to be strong and courageous because God was with him. And it would be God's power and God's power alone that would secure the victory. God had put the land in in their hands. 
He put the city of Jericho in their hands. And God's power puts victory in your hands and in my hands as well. You see, when our God, our mighty God works in our lives, strongholds begin to come down. Jericho would fall because of God's hand. He gave them the promise. They had the guarantee that His power and presence would be with them. And that gives me hope today. You see, when we are on the Lord's side, and when we put our trust in His promise, we know that He's for us and not against us. Even just a few minutes ago, while we're singing these great songs, Good, Good Father, and all these things, doubt, fear, worry were just swirling around in my mind. Stuff that doesn't even matter. There's stuff that I can't even take control of. And so I just had to say a short prayer. Lord, just deal with these things that I can't deal with right now. And, And He did, and He quieted my spirit. And He just reminds me over and over again, when He is with us, we can face any circumstance. And in His power, we can overcome any obstacle. And it will be clear to everyone around us, just like Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That the testimony will over and over begin. I know that that sure wasn't rusty. That had to be the Lord. And I know that wasn't you. It had to be the Lord. But you have to admit that a lot of times what God calls us to do really makes no sense to the world. Think about the command to love your enemies. From a worldly perspective, that makes no sense. We like the people we like and we don't like the people we don't like. So we love our friends and we hate our enemies. That's what the world would say. What about bless those who persecute you? Bless them. No, Lord, get them. Judge them, is what we would say. That's what the world would say. Or in the midst of troubles, struggles, trials, frustrations, what does God say? Get up and run and go hide. No, he says, be still and know that I am God. And so when God gives the orders to to Joshua for the battle, he doesn't give them this well-laid-out military plan. No, it's a... It's an unconventional plan. That's the third thing. It's an unconventional plan. Something that won't measure up, that won't make sense by worldly standards. And we find out more often than not that God's plans are unconventional in the world's eyes. While the world leans on the practical and the pragmatic, God calls us to trust Him in faith and to not seek human wisdom for a spiritual problem because there'll never be a human solution that will fix a spiritual problem. And so God does two things, and we see it's the pattern that we see over and over in Joshua in these verses, verses 3 through 21. The first thing is that God shares the plan with Joshua over and over again. God speaks to Joshua. He gives him this strategy that's a spiritual strategy. And here's the strategy. If you're a military man, see if this sounds like something you would have studied. First day, march around Jericho one time. We're going to do that for five more days. The people, they need to be silent. We're going to blow some 
ram's horns. We're going to sound those. Those are going to be the, the symbols of victory. And on the seventh day, we're going to do this not once, but seven times. And the seventh time around, the horns are going to sound again. Joshua, you're going to give a signal. And the people are going to give a great shout of victory. And here's what's going to happen. The walls are going to collapse. You can access the city and you'll have victory. So Joshua hears the plan. And in verses 6 and 7, he shares that plan with his people, with God's people. There's no hesitation. There's no, but Lord, are you sure this is going to work? You know, I've kind of been running numbers and this doesn't seem like a good plan. No, he just immediately goes and shares it with the priests. So God shares it with Joshua. Joshua shares it with the people. And the plan was a bit unusual, and it was going to take faith, trust. But we have to remember this plan was backed with God's promise, His presence, and His power. And so the second thing we see is that by faith, the people take action. So God gives the plan to Joshua, and then the people take action. They hear a spiritual plan and they are ready to engage in spiritual activity. See, the marching around was not just some monotonous march. It had a purpose. It was God's plan. Because God knew and He was teaching them that you can't fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. That God would be the one that would fight the battle. It would be His victory And Israel would simply be the benefactor of the victory. But this plan, this marching around the city, would be a test. A test of obedience. Doesn't seem very exciting, does it? We're going to get up and we're going to walk around the city. You can imagine the people muttering, should really be doing something, shouldn't we? I don't even have a spear. I don't have a bow. Shouldn't we do something else? But you don't hear that. You don't have a record of that because the people just obeyed because they knew what God was doing. They knew it wouldn't be about their effort, that it would be God's work. When I wrote this down, it kind of reminded me about, it reminds me of some people's attitude toward prayer. Because you hear a lot of people say that they don't find prayer very exciting or they say prayer is boring that we should be doing something, right? But here's the, the key. Prayer is not what we do before a meal or before a service or before a battle. Prayer is the battle. The weapon that we've been given in warfare is the, the weapon of prayer communicating with God. And I think that so many of us are falling short of the victory because we're failing to be obedient in the very first step. And that's just talking to God hearing what He has to say and making our petitions known before Him. And a lot of times that victory is just sitting right there waiting for us to lay a hold of it in prayer and then to move forward in obedience. And so this plan was a trial of obedience, but it also put fear into the enemy. Could you imagine what it would be like to be inside the city of Jericho, they were already heard about what God has done. They're already fearful. They have to be imagining in their minds, what is God up to? What's He going to do this time? Sun rises. Joshua gathers the people. 
And they march silently around the city, nothing but the ram's horn blowing. And they go back to their camp. The next day they do it. For six days they do the same thing. You can imagine that the fear and the frustration inside the town would just continue to grow. Thirteen times they circled the city. Estimates from archaeology say it would only be about a 650-yard trip to make a circumference of the walls. So a little bit more than walking around one trip around the football field and athletic track. That parade... That march would be led by soldiers, then the priests, then the ark in the middle, then more soldiers behind the ark, and then finally the people, the end. And we see God's presence in the ark right there in the middle of His people, marching around. It makes a point that the ark encircled it. And so all the while, God's people and the people of Jericho see God's presence represented coming around the city. And then the last time around, the seventh time on that seventh day, the priests blow the horns. Joshua gives the command, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. God's faithful. He always, always comes through. And verse 20 tells us the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted A great shout. And the fourth thing in your outline you see is that great shout was a shout of victory. Don't you know that there are are shouts going on around us all the time? The world is shouting out for us all the time. There's the shouts from media. There's the shouts of, of political... Voices. There's the shouts of, of temptation. There's the shouts of folly that you read about in the, the book of Proverbs. If they're shouting, it's almost like if you've ever been to the state fair or a carnival walking down the midway and there's somebody that wants you to try to come throw, you know, the overinflated basketball through the undersized hoop so you can win a teddy bear that won't even fit in your car. You know, and they're coming, you know, come and play my game. Guaranteed winners. Only... You know, I haven't been to the fair in probably 15 years, but, you know, only, only three, you know, three chances for $5. And there's all these shouts going out. And every day as we walk through the marketplace of life, there's these shouts. But what I think we lack a lot of times is the voice of victorious Christians giving shouts of victory, shouts of praise, shouts of glory to God in the world that we live in for the things that He has done. And so God uses this great shout to announce victory. Now that word, great shout, they used it in the Old Testament for a victory cry in war or in cases when the ark was moving from one place or another that the Lord would give a command for the people to make a great shout. And this shout would be a loud easy to hear. It would be triumphant. It would be joyful. It would be exciting. But here's something that's interesting. Israel gives the victory shout before the walls come down. They're shouting out their victory before the walls have 
came down. And that victory shout was part of God's plan. See, God instructed them to rejoice for a victory that hadn't even happened yet. A victory that was promised but not yet realized. And so this great shout was not just a shout of victory, it was a shout of faith, a shout of dependence, a shout of confidence that God's promises are true, that He gave us this city, that He is with us, His power is real. And when you get to the New Testament, that we have the divine power for the tearing down of strongholds. And this great shout just said to all the people and the people inside the walls that Jericho didn't stand a chance against God's plan and against God's purposes. And the Jerichos that stand in your life today, they don't stand a chance against God's plan and God's purposes. Now, what made this shout so joyful, so triumphant? Well, the first thing is that Joshua and the people had received a word from God. Remember verse 2, I have given Jericho into your hand. So Joshua and the people, they, they heard that word. They received it. They trusted it. And then what did they do? They didn't just put it in their keepsake treasure box for later. They acted on it. They took a step forward and did what God had called them to do. You see, they responded with faith and obedience. I'm not a mathematician, but I want to give you a formula. Faith plus obedience equals victory. When our faith and our obedience are combined together, it unlocks the key to victory. You see, by faith, Joshua and all the people had trusted the outcome to God. Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, verse 30, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So what was the instrument? What was the people? What did the people do? They, They showed faith. And because they had faith, the walls came down. And then their obedience put them in a position to be used by God. See, we can listen to God's promises. We can read a book of God's promises all we want. But until we apply faith and obedience to them, we will never see the outcome of those. But they knew God was going to be the one that would direct them. That the outcome would bring glory to their God. And as one man said, when men act upon promises of God with complete faith, victory is certain. And so they had a word from God. They responded with faith and obedience. And what happened? God gave them the victory. They knew the battle was the Lord's. That every victory in every situation would be His. You may have sang the song many times. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. But actually, God fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua and Israel just stood and saw the salvation of their God. Joshua and Israel were the benefactors of what God was doing. They saw the walls come down. And then they entered the city and took hold of it. They gained the victory. So when we respond to God in faith, with obedience, we share in the victory. And we read in this story today about this victory. 
That's all that chapter 6 is about. But there's something else we have to see. That in this story of victory, of destruction of Jericho, God doesn't forget about something we talked about several weeks. You may have forgotten about chapter 2. Rahab. While the city would be destroyed, there would be some that would be spared. And so in the last few verses, I want us to see that there's a rescue from destruction. See, the verse, verse 17, really is a contrast between destruction and deliverance. Listen to the verse. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So when you read the word shall live, I want you to think deliverance, because they are delivered from destruction. So he says, first of all, the city and everything in it is devoted to destruction. What does that mean? Why is it important to us? Well, we have to understand that Jericho was the first city Israel would face in Canaan. Across the Jordan, there's the city right there, the city of Jericho. It would be to them the first fruits of the land. It would be the first place they would conquer. And according to the Old Testament law, the first fruits should be devoted to the Lord. And that word devoted means just to set apart Or another way would be that it means that it's sacred property. It belongs to God. And there really was only two options in all of this, that something, if it was set apart to the Lord, could be totally destroyed for destruction or added to the Lord's treasury. And we see that in this division. That verse 21 tells us that all the living things are killed. The city is burned in verse 24, But in verse 25, the precious metals, the gold, silver, the iron, are set apart for the treasury of the house of the Lord. And then verse 26, Joshua issues a curse on any man who tries to rebuild the city. And you can follow the cross-references in your Bible if you have one and read about an instance where someone tried to and God was sure according to His promise. But you see this contrast that there's judgment, there's salvation. Because we know when we looked at chapter 2 that everyone in Jericho had heard about God, the God of Israel, what He had done. But there was only one person who responded with faith. And it's interesting that it's her faith that saved her because we look, the Scripture tells us she's a prostitute. And she even lies to her own people in her city. But God looks on her faith, not her past. And God gives her deliverance. God gives her salvation because of her faith. And so while there's some that are devoted for destruction, we see also that there is a deliverance by faith. You see, this story about Rahab and all her family is just as important to this whole story as the destruction and the fall of Jericho. She hides the spies, and they promise to spare her and her family when, she, when they return, asking only that she mark the place of her house with the scarlet cord. So with all that destruction all around her, walls falling down, 
what saved them was faith. Hebrews 11.31, By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Faith. You see, in this world today, the cross is the dividing line between God's judgment and His salvation. Those who choose to place their faith in Christ, trusting in what He did at the cross, receive salvation and deliverance. Those who choose not to believe, those that are unbelieving, place their self under judgment for all of eternity. And so faith in Christ is a rescue mission that continues way beyond salvation. It's not just a salvation event to put your faith in Christ. It's continually living a vital life of victory, enjoying continued freedom and deliverance all of your days. Because God, in His goodness, gives victory to His people. It's a grace gift. And we receive it by faith and obedience. Because you see, faith in God's power and His promises combined with obedience to His commands leads to deliverance and victory. Jericho might have been a strong city. But God's spiritual resources set against its walls caused them to come down. And today... Look around in your life. There's probably Jerichos all around us that need to come down. Areas of weakness, strongholds, things that we see as impossible situations, things that stand clearly in the path of what God has best for us. It could be a Jericho of bitterness, anger, addiction fear, rejection, distrust, rebellion, or many other things. But this morning, it's time for a victory shout. It's time for us to walk in victory. How can we Look at these things like strong fortresses that can never come down when God sees them as mere sandcastles waiting to be crushed. When we look at them through worldly eyes, they're going to be there forever. But when we look at them through God's eyes, they're going to fall down. So how can we do that? You're going to see about six things on the screen. Um, I tried to cut it down to, to six, but I'm lucky to keep it under ten. Um, they're short. Hopefully you'll be able to... Re- You can read them and write them down. But the first thing we have to do is we have to admit that the whole thing is too big for us to handle on our own. I think that's how we get ourselves in so much trouble. Is we think we can handle it, we can deal with it, and realize that nothing is too big for God. So see that it's too big for you and not too big for God. When you do that, you know what you do? You ask for help. When you see that something is too big for you and not too big for God, you ask for help. And if you're not at that point of asking for help, ask God to help you. If you're not uncomfortable in your situation, but you know you should be, ask God and He'll help you to be uncomfortable. 
but see that it's, while it's too big for you, it's not too big for God. And then commit it to the Lord. By committing it to the Lord, I mean that you confess the sin to the Lord. And then you ask Him by His Holy Spirit to help you. So you confess to the Lord and you ask Him to help you. You commit it to the Lord. So you recognize it's there. Then you commit it to the Lord. And then proclaim the victory in Jesus' name. Take you back to Jericho for a second. When did they give the shout of victory? Before the wall came down, right? It wasn't afterwards. Proclaim the victory in Jesus' name. We are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaim the victory. Do it out loud. Celebrate. Praise. Which is the next thing is to praise God for the victory. So proclaim and praise in the victory. It's so important. We see the weapon of praise in the story of of Jehoshaphat. Praise is so important in helping us to obtain the victory. So praise God for the victory. But then also believe that God can deliver you. That by faith it's possible. And at this point you may need to pray and pray often at New Testament prayer. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Believe that God can deliver you. And then walk in obedience to what God tells you to do. And I think we get stuck at this point along the way too. We cry out to God. We say, God, we need your help. God, we believe you can deliver us. But then God gives us the action point. This is how you walk in obedience. This is how you step out of it. And we fall short there in the area of obedience. Think about Joshua. Not Joshua. Think about... Somebody before, Joshua, Joseph, name very similar, Joseph. Joseph's tempted by wife of Potiphar. Even though the text doesn't tell us, we obviously realize that the Lord has put something in Joseph's mind to know what to do in that situation when he's tempted. And that is to drop your coat and run. That's the standing in obedience. And sometimes God's telling us to lay something down, to drop our coat and run, turn something off, put something down, throw something in the trash, pour it down the drain, get rid of it, and stop it. And our obedience falls short. Lord, help us to be obedient. And then watch for the walls fall down you see when God shows up when we put our trust in his presence and in his power and we hold on to his promises that walls will come down in your life and when you do there's victory amen will you pray with me father It's always a challenge when you look at stories that you've seen and read so many times to just quickly look over and say, I understand it, I've read it. I know what it's talking about. It's even more of a challenge in this day and age when there's so many creative forms of of media. There's so many flashy presentations and 
short little quips and quotes that we are drawn to to be able to focus our attention toward you when your word is presented and taught. And God, there's the even greater challenge of hearing what we know is to be true and putting it into practice for the truth to come into our lives and be met with faith and obedience to see you move forward. So God, at this very point, God, we're asking for your help to do what only you can do. It's not through persuasive words. It's not through clever arguments. It's not through a loud voice. It's not through a quiet voice. But it's by your voice speaking to our hearts. And so, God, I pray you would draw the attention of every person that's listening or that will listen to you. That the voice they hear would be your voice speaking to them by the gift, by the Holy Spirit. Bringing conviction, bringing assurance, strengthening faith and guiding us and leading us toward the victory. Oh Lord, help us to see that the battle is yours. The victory is secured by you and can be ours when we trust you with faith and when we walk in obedience. And so Lord, if we walk away with one thing this morning, help us to see that you're for us and you're not against us, that you desire us to walk in victory that you give us that victory in Christ and that our part is to trust you in faith and walk in obedience. Oh Lord, we trust you to do this and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Our worship team is here to, to guide us, to lead us in a song. It gives us opportunity to, to respond. The choice is up to you what you do with this time. My challenge to you is this, is that as the truth of God's Word sinks into your, to your heart and God speaks to you by His Spirit, that you would choose to walk in victory. That your faith and your obedience would start to be activated. That you would issue shouts of victory, trusting in God to do what you would think would be impossible. And that we would see God, tear down walls, set people free, and bring Him the glory. Will you join me as we stand together and as we sing? You can pray quietly where you're at. You can come to the front, to the altar. I'll be standing here as well. It's a time to commit yourself to the Lord. If not for the, if it's the first time, oh God has great plans and purposes for you and giving you victory today and each day by simply placing his trust in him or if it's just to claim victory in an area of your life pray that as God speaks you'll listen and respond so let's sing together Amen.
muted for just a second. And Donna, came up. she wanted to share something, and we just need something for her to talk into. Um, I don't know if y'all remember, but when we first came back here, we were bringing our young, um, our oldest child to college, and we asked all of y'all to be praying because, you know, we had been in Japan for four years, and then she was starting college, and she was the first one to go. So um, y'all, everybody came up here and said things, like said things to us, and said you'd be praying. I really appreciate that because her first year did go very, very well. Um, I want to ask, I want to humble myself and ask for your prayers again um, for our second born. I don't, since I'm being videotaped, I don't say anybody's names, <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about. Um, but can you please pray? Because we're trying to uh, get ready to go back to Japan. We're in, getting our visas renewed and um, things like that, medical clearance, things like that. But of course, um, we're going to be leaving our second born here that we love just as much as we love our first born and all of our born. <laughs> and, and so um, can you please be praying for his situation that he will have a place to live and he has a job. Thanks to y'all's prayers for that. And if you just pray for him to be settled, and it's really hard to be a mom <laughs> anyway, and leave your kids behind somewhere. So, could you please pray for him and the path that God has for him, that he will know what it is and find it soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Well, as we take a moment, Michelle, would you mind just offering up a, a prayer for for their family? before we sing and part. Father, we just bow before you. Lord, you said to be still. Mm-hmm. And know that I am God. And Lord, as we have already sung, you are good. And you know the you know how hard it is, Lord, for what they are doing. To leave their children behind. Lord, I'm first. I ask you to strengthen Dawn and Kevin. Lord, that you would give them the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, that they would know. your plan and your will for them at this season of their life. And Lord, for Mitchell, Father, your plan is good. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can come before your throne of mercy. And Lord, you know the timing and all of these things. And you know the things that you are working out. And Lord, sometimes we can't see that. 
But Lord, you have a place for him. And we trust you in that. And Lord, I ask that, that you, Lord, that you would reveal that. Where you have for him to live, Lord. He needs a place to stay. Lord, we, we can't just... I mean, I get, there are people who live on the street, but Lord, that's not, that's not what you want. That's not your plan for him. And so Lord, I just thank you in advance for what you've already done and for what you're doing and how you're going to provide because you are our provider. And I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you all for worshiping today. And just be reminded as we, we sang through all the songs of God's goodness, of his greatness. And then as we, we saw from Joshua, his willingness to bring down the walls and to give us victory. Pray the Lord would, would bless you. I'd ask you to join as we stand together and as we sing. And when we start singing together, you're dismissed and you're free to go. So Lord bless you. Yeah. Yeah.